Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Center. Midwestern, <laughs> another great gospel resource. Uh, and, is, I, and i got to tell you, when I've, I've been to Midwestern. This, yeah. this place is totally revamped and revitalized. Are you going to let me introduce you? No, you just uh, gonna no jump I'm, just, I'm just stunned this. by this. Have you? I mean, people should come walk the <laughs> campus. I mean, there's like, we're in a building that didn't exist. There's a student center that didn't exist. What, there wasn't even that wind. This is like a happening place. And like, I'm happy to be at the happening place. Like a phoenix from the ashes. Well, I just came from phoenix, is. but yeah. <laughs> and I don't think you should use mythological references from the occult. I think you should talk right. something biblical. You're right. I just told that's a doctoral bad. seminar today that I don't yeah. do the Enneagram for that's, this new but, age. That's bad karma. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there? Thank you very much. Sit your waiter. I'm Jared Wilson. Thank you for listening. We have on the program today Dr. Ed Stetzer. Oh. You are the director of the Billy Graham Center? Is something that, like that. Something like yes. that. At Wheaton College? Yes. Wheaton College. So we're <laughs> it's not, a little school in Illinois. Well, but we, we had Wheaton College graduate school. Yeah. So it's kind of confusing because, you know, is it a university? Is it a college? Every right. time I speak, uh, I get introduced as Wheaton University. But it's, it's, it's a liberal arts college intentionally okay. with a robust graduate school that I'm more involved with. Gotcha. And it's great because you, you're in town to speak to a big group of Nazarenes. Nazarenes. They chose to gather together. See what I did there? And you th- That's and, Arminian and, humor right there. <laughs> and you thought that you would cleanse your palate by come hanging out with well, some Baptists. I, Jason heard there was barbecue. That's and, right. Oh, there you go. And there was no, uh, there was no beverage. I see. Um, but none, none that we can <laughs> – anyway. But no, so I'm super – because I, I really wanted to see – you know, I don't want to be nice to you and your school because I, I, I lead a competing, <laughs> a competing school. Yeah. But we're all on the same team. And, and just to see – Midwestern. I just saw the most recent FTE numbers. I mean, just to see what's going on, and you know, just to yeah. So I came by, got to talk to you and your podcast, B. But really, I just want to see all was going on. Jason yeah. said he'd show me around. And awesome. You just finished up the big nine marks conference, and That's right. I wrote an article on why there are six marks to the biblical church, and so you know, people Ooh. people want to know which three I left out. That's good. <laughs> what? So what are the? Yeah. What, what are the three? Well, they're not. It's like combined. Yeah, it's just like it's, it's just. A, I mean, it's very similar. But yeah. I wrote it years and years ago. But it's about missio. What are the marks that should be true in every church, every culture, every time? So like mission would be one that would be in, and there would be evangelism and you know broader things and teaching and preaching. You know, so it's, yeah. it's again, it wasn't it wasn't a rebuke. <laughs> people saw it. I mean, I like nine marks people. They yeah. they, they yeah. ask me to write things for them that get me hate mail. So, <laughs> well, I like um, Jonathan Edwards has five marks, dis- yeah. distinguishing marks that move the spirit of God. So we just as long as we can just keep. Simplifying, it'd be yes, good. Sir. Well, you know the uh, you know you look at the some of the reform thing. It's you know the marks are even less. It's you know uh, sacraments, preaching of the word. Anyway, yeah. but that's not yeah. what we are here to talk no, about. No, I actually have a subject in mind. If you'd yes. like to, whatever you want to do, get to that. Whatever, uh, whatever I want to do, you want to do. <laughs> tell. We're, they don't know we are all friends. No, that's right. So how long have we I known was, each other? Fifteen, twenty. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, you were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar when it, I first it was met probably, you. No, it was, yeah, it's probably 13 or 14 okay. years. Did you get the reference, though, to the, the Human League song? Uh, yeah, you yeah. Were Don't you want a, me, baby? Well, yeah. that's the part. I wasn't going to sing that part. <laughs> that got really creepy there. Yeah, there's mm. some 80s yeah. music for Don't you. Don't judge the 80s. Yeah. No, I'm actually, if, if you'll allow me, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really grateful for you because I, I was just an obscure, struggling church planner trying to write. And I think, I guess, from my blog, there were like eight people blogging at that time. It's true. It's, it's, it is true. <laughs> and you sent me an email and just said, uh, hey, do you want to get some lunch? And, I thought you were uh, an excellent writer. I really appreciated that. No, and, and it turned out to be that you were. So now you're doing it much more. Yeah. And actually what I'd like to talk about kind of, I think, has a connection, a direct line back then because around that time – uh, there was the predominant, uh, the emerging church conversation. Yeah, right? I remember that. Yeah, and, yes. and that, you know, I don't, I don't, you know. And then one Thursday about six years ago, poof, the emerging it, church was it, gone. It emerged into thin it air. Emerged, <laughs> well, I think it emerged into the avant-garde wing of mainline. In the mainline, that's yeah. right. But, at, you know, part of that 
conversation was the the missional stream, yeah. the missional church. Um, you know, all kinds of missional networks, so on and so forth. And so really what I wanted to ask you is whatever happened to missional? Why um, is it only sort of the, not necessarily progressives, but I guess kind of the, you know, those streams, the Anabaptists and what have you. Yeah, before, you mentioned Dave Fitch before we were, we yeah. were recording. Wheaton grad, by the way, but now now down the road. Um, you know, so I think part of, you know, the term, you know, we even had a conversation about, you know, we just redid Planning Missional Churches for its uh, 10th anniversary. Yeah. And so Daniel M. came alongside and and co, um, co-wrote it. He added stuff to it. And anyway, so we debated, you know, is missional still a term that's helpful? So, you know, the term goes back a long time. You know, I mean, you can find it in the Oxford English Dictionary or early, mm. right around early 1900s. But the first person to use it the way we use it today in a book was a guy named Francis DuBose. Um, he was at what is now Gateway Seminary. So, okay. um, but, he, but no one really caught up on it. And then later it was Chuck Van Engen in the 90s. DuBose was in the 80s. Chuck Van Engen in the 90s. No one really catch on. But Guder then ed- edits his volume in the 90s. And, and, and so what happens, though, is so Guder – I mean, so you know, first of all, DuBose is a Southern Baptist. And he publishes a book by Broadman. So the successor would be B&H today. Right. God Who Sends. It's a really helpful book, very shaping of my understanding of missiology. Um, Van Engen is is a, is a fuller, it's hard to describe, kind of theologically evangelical, but mainline back, Dutch Reformed background. Um, and then Guder is a mainline Protestant. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's at uh, Princeton today, but he's a mainline Protestant. So basically, it's a mainline Protestant conversation. And then actually, Jonathan Lehman writes a really insightful article about missional. And he says something effective, since we mentioned nine marks. That evangelicals kind of took missional out by the roots and replanted it in evangelical soil. He cites Keller, probably gives me more credit than he needs to, but he cites me and a few others. So missional really caught evangelicalism. And I think it was 1998 is the first time it appears in our denominational press. And it's not by me saying it, actually. I'm the second time it appears in the denominational press. So I helped popularize it. Yeah. But really, it's a term that kind of was a term that was more common in mainline Protestantism but caught on in evangelicalism because it expressed something they knew was missing. Yeah. So missional is the adjectival use of the word missional, right? So if some you adversary, someone's your enemy, so an adversarial neighbor is your neighbor's enemy. So a missional church is a church that's driven by mission. Well, when Southern Baptists got a hold of it, they made it everything. So everyone, you know, every state convention soon, their missional strategy and, you know, the Great Commission uh, Resurgence Task Force. I used to think the words, you use the word missional 19 times. And so what happened is everyone rushed to it. Yeah. And I think um, lost some of what the intent was. But I would say, too, Jared, you know, I mean, when I when I started and again, this is, you know, lots of other people talk about it. 2007 is the first time I spoke at a uh, SBC annual meeting. And I, I think I used the term missional in that sermon. But within five years, everyone was sort of saying we got to exegete our community. Yep. We got to live on mission that all God's people are sent on mission. You know, John 2021 20, is the father sent me. So send I you. So I think in a sense. You know, vocabulary helps us rethink things. I mean, you're, you, you know, your new book's going to be The Gospel-Driven Church, which was your old title of your old blog, wasn't yeah, it, back yeah. in the day? Yeah, it still is. still I, is. Oh, is it still? So I can tell you're a reader. Of well, yeah, blog. sorry. <laughs> I, I, I actually um, use uh, aggregators. Oh, okay. So, yeah, okay. so it ruins everything because no, you don't go to anybody's blog That's anymore. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, but the, the, the idea here is that you're saying that. You're by, you know, you're not saying, you know, it's not a slam at, let's say, purpose-driven. It's not a slam at for whatever. I mean, you're making points that it would differ than those things, but that's what people hear. Yeah. But new vocabulary helps us think in new categories and new categories can then be cast in the culture. So are we more mission driven now from 10 years ago when we, yes, I think people think of their context as a mission field in a way they didn't. 
But um, I even – so when that word became so trendy, I, I moved to mission-shaped. But I'm trying to help people think categorically that the church exists for mission. It's not that the church has a mission, but God's mission has a church. And so language helps us to rethink that. So I think that's why that – but the problem is language gets co-opted by people who want to say that they are that. And so, right. so some people missional – I wrote a thing called uh, uh, the missional as a Rorschach test. It kind of meant what you thought the church should be. So yeah. social justice people think missional means serving the poor. So people who want to be contemporary, culturally relevant, think that's what missional is. And so it got in some ways co-opted, and I think that's why it's use reduced. I remember seeing on a church website – this is probably – seven or eight years ago, um, legitimately they said, so we are, uh, I'm not making this up. Yeah. They said, we are a missional church. We reach out in our community and invite them to come see what we are doing. How about that? Well, there you go. There you go. Which thought, is sort I, of not what we were exactly, going for. Exactly, exactly. Not what we were going for. Because, I mean, again, for those of you listening who maybe this part of the missional impulse would be kind of an externally focused, uh, Jesus said, you know, it's not act arrived, but live sent. Yeah. So, you know, I, so, and I think that's where I try to, you know, even through this journey, I wrote compelled, you know, to the mission of God. I wrote sent, living the missional nature of the church. So I kept trying to say, this is what we mean. So I think people get it better, but sometimes people don't. They say, yeah. missional means come to our cool church. But you think in general, just because the vocabulary is not there, the concept, though, has well, gained I think traction? That, and... Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> but I think the concept... I mean, so one of the students in our grad program was a guy named James Meeks, um, and he's uh, – I mean, he was just was a state senator. I mean, James Meeks is the godfather of Chicago. He's a 10,000-seat sanctuary, uh, African-American pastor. And he's – one of the things he said to me is, you know, that old missional stuff's really cool. We've been doing that for about That's 200 right. years. Um, you know, very engaged in culture, very transformative in the community, very gospel-sharing focused and more. So, again, I'm less concerned. You know, one of our seminaries in our denomination – if you search their website, last time I searched, the word missional is nowhere to be found, which tells you they intentionally didn't let anyone right. use a book or have a title or do a course in that. But part of that's history. They're concerned that when Christians have discovered mission in the past, like the mid part of the last century, mainland Protestants decided to get all in on the Missio Dei, you know, they lost gospel proclamation in a very short amount of time. Yeah. So I think that, uh, you know, when, when Piper asked me to speak at the Zion God National Conference, he calls me up. And he says, I want you to come speak because I disagree with what you're saying about missional. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah. this is not how it would. This is not the normal speaking invitation. But can I say John Piper is not the normal? No. You know, you, you don't talk about baseball with John Piper. <laughs> you, he comes from the mountaintop. He hears from the Lord, comes down and tells That's us. That's right. So, so he says, well, I, but I think you're talking about global missions too. And I want you to kind of make that case. It's like, well, I'm not sure I want to come to your convention and make the case for something you disagree with. But I did. I, and I got up and I said, listen, I actually said that. I said, John has asked me to come, and I'm going to start with John 2021, the Johannine um, uh, Commission. As the Father has sent me, so send to you. I believe that implies to everybody that when Jesus spoke to his disciples, he was saying, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. The you there is inclusive. So all God's people are sent on mission. Now, Pastor John, you call him Pastor John in his house. Uh, there was, I think it was at the Minneapolis Convention Center. So Pastor John is concerned that by saying that, we devalue the role of cross-cultural missionaries. You say everyone's on mission. Stephen Neal's very famous line is, when everything's missions, nothing is mission. Yeah. And so, so I said, so John doesn't think this, but let me tell you what Spurgeon said. So Spurgeon once said that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. 
So I said, you know, because Spurgeon's the fourth member of the Trinity That's in right. that gathering. So I said to them, we're actually recording this at the Spurgeon he Library. Is it a library? <laughs> For some Baptists, he's more important than the Holy Spirit. No, there's no <laughs> question. There's no question. He is indeed the fourth member of the Trinity. Maybe the third member of the Trinity. <laughs> That's the, right. Uh, that is. Uh, but what, this is the Spurgeon Library? Is that what you call Spurgeon the Center? The Spurgeon Library. That's okay, right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so I said in front of all these people, so, um, so John and I are not on the same page, but you can believe uh, Charles Spurgeon, or you can believe John Piper. You have to pick. And mm. and uh, and it, you know, once he laughed, everyone laughed. Choose this day. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Well, what's funny is none of you know Calvinists are tend to be very. Oh, I'm making generalizations, but they can be pretty uptight. So nobody could laugh until John let out a belly laugh, and then it was okay. okay. Everyone laughed. But here's the thing: I actually don't think Spurgeon's right either. Yeah. Okay. When he said every Christian is a missionary and imposter. I think in the the language didn't exist in Spurgeon's day. Yeah. To say. That every Christian is on mission, so he used the word missionary. So every Christian is not a missionary. Okay, um, you know, just an hour before this recording, I met with uh, Mary Ho and the leadership of All Nations here in Kansas City. They're the ones who sent John Chow to the North Centralese. Okay, and um, you know, if we say everyone's like that, no, no, not everyone's going around the world. You know, so we don't want to, we we want more cross cultural missionaries. So we don't use the language Spurgeon said, but I still think we can't look to the scriptures. You know, Christopher Wright has helped us with this. Lausanne has helped us with this. The consensus of evangelical missiologists is that all God's people are sent on mission. Now, consensus is not unanimous, right? There are people who disagree yeah. uh, on the on that issue. But I think ultimately that's what missional is, is that God's people are sent on mission. But we need to value and even elevate cross-cultural missions in that conversation. Okay. Let me ask you this. This is a softball, a very safe question. I love softball how does, questions. How does social justice yeah. uh, I've heard of that connect lately. to— <laughs> let, me, let me make a statement on social justice right oh, now. Okay. <laughs> I am picking up what you're laying out. Yeah. How does social justice relate to mission if it does? Well, I think it does, and I think ultimately you have to ask— Can the, you define it before you run off? Because I think well, that's part of the problem. Off, have, are you saying I'm running yeah, off? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that is the question. What do generally we mean? People who yeah. generally, I mean, you know, social justice comes from Catholic social thought, you know, and, and so there's a lot of complexities. When most evangelicals refer to the term social justice, they're referring not just to individual justice issues or sin issues, but they're, that there are systemic issues in the culture that should also be addressed. Those okay. issues could be economic. Those issues could be racial. They could be related to gender issues, whatever else it may be. So most evangelicals, so all the conservative evangelicals that you hear talking about social justice, which I would be among them, are not buying into the totality of this kind of idea that, you know, but basically, you know, cultural Marxism. What, what does even that mean? Cultural Marxism is, is uh, one of those things that now is thrown around to say, well, you're cultural Marxist. No, I just believe that, that – the gospel of Jesus should impact social systems yeah. as well. So evangelicals typically have focused on individual personal sin, wrongness, sin, response, and repent, repentance, whereas mainline Protestants have tend to focus on systemic issues. And I think ultimately the gospel um, shapes us and changes us. And one of the implications of the gospel is that we will care about systemic issues of injustice. Yeah. So that's what I mean. So, so social justice and missional, um, you know, I think that, you know, when I was a pastor in Buffalo years and years and years ago, I was planning a church among the urban poor, and this African-American pastor who was near us in the, in the city, we were both in a poor neighborhood, he was far more involved in the politics of the land than I was. Going to city, uh, well, we weren't cities, they were, they were actually wards, but going to meetings, and he was trying to get less liquor stores in the district and all that sort of stuff. And so I said to him once, well, why do you, why do you spend your time doing it? It wasn't an inordinate amount of time. Yeah. But he said to me something that was really profound. He said, you know, and I didn't think dwell on it until 10 years later, he said, um, you know, 
Ed, you and I both love the gospel. We're telling people about Jesus. We're dragging them out of the river near dead or drowned. Sometimes it's okay to go up the river and tell them to stop throwing them in. Mm. And so that's what he was trying to do. So I do think, and so this is where kingdom work comes in. If the gospel is God, man, Christ response, using the old formulation there, right, that people use. But basically it's God, uh, people who respond by grace and through faith, you know, God, man, Christ responses. But if it's also creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, I live between redemption and restoration. I'm an agent of God's mission in the midst of that time. Therefore, I want to work to make the world more like Jesus would have it to be. And people debate this. You know, is it is our church transforming the city? Keller talks about, you know, transforming the city. And, and then other people say, well, that's, Jesus called us just to win people to Jesus. And I think the answer is understanding the gospel in those two dimensions, which is a big part of the gospel project. You helped us with some of that conversation over the years, is that the gospel is understood in a personal and a cosmic dimension. So being missional, I think, includes – basically being missional is joining the mission of Jesus. Mm. In Luke 4, when he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he talks about the Lord is upon me, anoint me to preach, but he, then he talks about the marginalized. Jesus came serving the hurting. The same Jesus says Luke 19.10, he came to seek and save the lost. So I think if we're joining the mission of Jesus, this is actually what I preached 2007 San Antonio at the SBC. If we're joining the mission of Jesus, then we're going to serve the hurting, we're going to save the lost, and we're going to make that our missional priority. So that to me, and that includes areas where the, where, where the hurting are impacted by systemic issues that Christians can speak to and make a difference in. Yeah. Do you think that those who sort of object to the language or to the approach – that their general concern is not that the gospel doesn't speak to uh, social ills or what have you, but really that they their fear is that evangelicals are being infected by, you know, um, identity politics or intersectional yeah. theory. Well, I don't know. They, yeah, identity politics maybe. Yeah, they they tend to see that, but it may be a different way than we think of identity politics. Okay, so the answer is I think that they're rightfully concerned that. Because all you got to do is read history. So, so let me give you an example. So The Mission of the Church, uh, DeYoung and Gilbert, not a book I was a particular fan. I've wrote a 3,000-word critical review in, in Thamelios, the Gospel Coalition Journal, and got a lot of people riled up about it. But I agreed with so much of their concern that you will lose the gospel if you are not aware of the pull to these societal ills. And the, and the world will praise you. Yeah. when you work for justice and resist you when you speak of Jesus. That's right. And so so I appreciate their impulse, and I even appreciate the impulse. I mean, again, I'm, I'm running the Billy Graham Center. I really appreciate the impulse. Not We must not get caught up in issues that ultimately cause us to lose the gospel. Not only that, but we literally have historic examples, too, in the last hundred years where movements, the early part of the last century, the kingdom of God movement that would later be called the social gospel movement, the middle part of the last century, the post-Willingen conciliar missions movement that later would be called the Missio Dei movement, both of those lose clarity of gospel proclamation within 10 years, maybe 15. So, So I'm actually quite sympathetic to that argument. What I would say is I can't read the Bible and come to the conclusion that I'm not supposed to care about some of those issues. I right. can't read the minor prophets. I can't hear the words of Jesus. And so what I would say is we don't need um, to abandon those concerns. We need to make sure that we handle those concerns, address those concerns, lean into those concerns in a way that's part of our gospel witness, not that replaces our gospel witness. Yes. Now, again, people say all these people are woke now or whatever. <laughs> so, again, this is – I saw someone tweet the other day uh, – 
I was a professor of seminary for year, for three years, many, many years ago. And someone said he was a student in my class 18 years ago. And he said, Ed Stetzer is saying the same thing today as he said then. And I really do feel that way. There's not a lot. I mean, hopefully I've yeah. grown in some ways. But but a, a lot of what we're talking about now, I don't know that a lot of people who – I mean, I, I've cared about race and rec- reconciliation for a long time. Um, we just hosted a GC2 summit on sexual harassment, violence, and abuse. I've cared about that a long time. Yeah. Um, I think what happens maybe is that people, since Christians haven't talked a lot about it, those stand out. We did a refugee summit. Well, Christians have been resettling refugees. I mean, it was one of the leading ministries of the uh, of the National Association of Evangelicals through World Relief. So I think all of those things have to be remembered. I don't know these are new emphases. Now, I mean, we can go back to Carl Henry, you know, uh, you know, the the uh, uneasy conscience of modern fundamentalism was how do we care about these? Do we care about these issues? Right. Because the fundamentalists, and I'm using that as an historic term, fundamentalists moved away from caring about these cultural issues in response to mainline Protestantism's kingdom of God theology and the overemphasis of, of uh, what would later become the social gospel. So we've been here before. But we also have to acknowledge the scriptures. The scriptures are still the scriptures. Yeah. Does any of it come from a conflation of gospel with gospel implications? Because that's I think a concern so. that I have. I think so. I think definitely. As one who's sympathetic to the social justice yeah. issues, yeah. I still the hair on the back of my neck stands up, even when someone I agree with on social justice says something like the good news yeah. of social justice or what have you, and say, no, 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 the right. gospel is what Christ has exactly. done, not what we do. So yeah. okay. All right, let's stop right here for a moment and hear a word from our hosts at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest-growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Okay, so you just asked about the uh, um, about some of the conflation of the two. So, yeah, I, I think one of the things I find helpful is the language of gospel implications. And so, you know, everything, not everything's the gospel and the gospel is not everything. So this right. literally was the conversation I had with the Nazarenes just a few minutes ago. So okay. Nazarenes are far more connected to works of justice and mercy than, than theologically we would be historically. And so that's part of their heritage. Um, but, but I try to explain, oh, so the mission is not the same thing as evangelism. Right. So evangelism is the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel is not what you do. The gospel is what Jesus did. So really, I didn't say that. I did say that specifically in my message to the Nazarenes. But I also didn't, I didn't say, um, you know, so you can't say, like, you can't really live the gospel. People say we're trying to live the gospel. Now, again, I'm kind of less vocabulary police than you are on that. (laughs) Because I'm like, okay, because it does say obey the gospel a couple times. It's a Um, slippery slope. But, but, (laughs) wow, thank you. Thank you. Which, to be fair, Robert McNamara discounted and we lost all those people in Vietnam. (laughs) Because that, too, was a slippery slope. Um, So what I would say is that I want to say, and I just say graciously, you know, hey, listen, we really can't live the gospel. The gospel, again, not something you do. But what I would say is, is you got to be careful that you don't load into the gospel what's really part of the mission. Yeah. And the mission is something that Christians do that flows out of what the gospel is. 
And so the mission is gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration. But the gospel's not gospel demonstration. Mm-hmm. The gospel's not even evangelism. The gospel's the gospel. Yeah. So things that flow out of that are better rooted in the mission. But because everyone tries to front, like the hole in our gospel, um, which is a book that, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember now. I know he's saying we're friends. Um, I endorsed his second book, but not that book. Um, <laughs> Rich Stearns. So, and, and, but so I, I would say, really, I would want to say it's the hole in our mission. So we should care about poverty around the world as an implication of the gospel. So uh, the, the best, I think, article on that is, that, is actually Carson's article. Um, he, he subsequently started using the word entailments more yeah. than implications yes. some. Yeah. But I actually like his original article, which is he talks about gospel implications. So, so what I would say, though, is I I'm, I'm, do say those things. I think serving the hurting, hurting is rooted in the mission. It's rooted in the mission. And because the mission is to join Jesus on his mission, and he came serving the hurting. But the church is not primarily a society to do good to make society better. The early Christians obviously and evidently cared about those that were around them. That was part of their reputation. Remember at Carthage, the plague of Cyprian? Uh, Cyprian brings all the Christians into the town square and says, called the plague of Cyprian because he was historically connected to helping, which kind of stinks. You know, you don't want to be the plague of Jared Wilson because you were trying to help people. But anyway, yeah. so he brings him in the city and says, we're going to care regardless of religious beliefs. We're going to use our good. We're going to care. So 100 years later, uh, it's actually Emperor Julian the Apostate who speaks of these impious Galileans, his words, who care not only for, um, paraphrasing here, care not only for our, their own sick and dead, but for ours also. So these, so, so again, that's a Christian community shaped by the implications of the gospel, but still proclaiming the gospel. But here's what we got to hear. Here's why we don't need to be so harsh. And I don't know if you've been harsh or not, but, but, and I, I've tried not to say much. I have not, I have not made a public statement on statements on social justice because I actually share a lot of the concerns. Yeah. What I don't share is sometimes the way some critics are uncharitable or unfair which I actually I didn't find that that was you know those that, that that was written I mean I might not agree with everything but it wasn't written with some of the normal uh, kind of caricatures I mean that that I thought expressed some concerns so you got my first that's the totality of my my first and total statement on <laughs> on social justice yeah well I found, so I I don't weigh into the debates and yeah. the arguments too much online because part of me uh, well. I generally think many times we're just defining these yeah. things differently. So you're you're upset with the guy for using a word yeah. without even asking what he means by exactly. it. What it, you know? How is he teasing that out? Well, so, so I, you know, one of the more famous moments where I got to do this, Vody Bachman and I, people can see it online. I did this. Uh, I hosted with Brian Loritz. We co-hosted this global summit on racial reconciliation from the National Civil Rights Museum in uh, in Memphis, which is the Lorraine Motel turned into a museum. Yeah. And so we broadcast this. All people watch all over the world. It was stunning the amount of people watch. But one of the things, so Vody Bakum and I sort of get into uh, this thing, and he spoke more than anybody else. People got mad at me because I also pushed him on some things. But one of the things he said is he talked about you know white privilege, and he said, well that's you know that's I think he, I didn't think he used the word cultural Marxism because this was five years ago that was less common. He said that's Marxist, and I said, but so's the graduated income tax, and so <laughs> I mean which which actually is a Marxist idea. So the fact that. Uh, and actually, it's based on this idea of this invisible knapsack that you and I have as, you know, middle-aged white men. Can I call you middle-aged now? Yes, that's fine. Yes, but well, let's just uh, embrace it. I'll allow it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you from your privilege. Um, so, you know, so the reality is I do have certain benefits in an upside. And acknowledge that's not not me being a Marxist or anything. It's yeah. just to acknowledge that's the case. But really part of what so, – so, so, again, so are there things that 
Other people have said that like a graduated income tax isn't the worst thing in the world and maybe should be done, that were once considered Marxist ideas, maybe. Um, but, but I think the fact that racial injustices still exist, you know, I'm preaching at Moody Church every week, uh, week um, well, not every week, but as the interim teaching pastor there. And, you know, and I, I was talking, we were doing this series called Explore God. It's the whole city of Chicago, 800 churches. And I talked about justice. One of the, I think one of the reasons the evidence is the existence of God is we know there should be justice. We feel this sense of justice. And I mentioned Laquan McDonald, which, you know, I don't know if your church would have, but almost every church in Chicago did. I said, we yearn for justice, and that's why people are so tore up by this Laquan McDonald shooting. If you're not local, you probably wouldn't be familiar with it. But so, so, so again, does that make you a social justice warrior? Does that make you a cultural Marxist? To me, it just makes you a Christian who cares about the kind of things that Jesus would care about. Yeah. Am I nuts? Now I want you, no. This is your podcast. No, because, well, I, I don't think so because we're very selective on yeah. these issues, right? Yeah. And there's not a, there's hardly an evangelical who would um, ascribe this social inequality, civil rights issue to the abortion oh, uh, great point. You know, situation. And I'm going to tell you, I'm all in on that. I mean, that's one yeah. for me. You know, I'm at March for Life, speaking of March for Life. But you're right. We take social action because we think it's unjust right. that baby's in the womb. We don't just say, yeah. hey, just evangelize yeah. and abortion will take care of itself. We say, no, this is an implication of caring about what God cares yeah. about, which is yeah. human dignity and human yeah. life. So anyway. Well, uh, that was not what you told me we were going to talk about. But I don't, you know, I'm, not a, <laughs> I'm not a subtle man. I said it'd be freewheeling. Up at Wheaton College, and I'm I happy did. to have these conversations. And speaking of Wheaton College, so this is what I want to end with. Okay, tell okay? me. Uh, because you're the director of the Billy Graham Center. Yeah, I've heard of that. Or yeah. something like that. Something like that. Who Who's the next Billy Graham? Jane the Uber driver. Who? Okay, so um, the day before <laughs> Billy Graham died, okay. I was in the – taking Uber to the airport, and Jane picked Donna and I up, and we started the 30-minute trek to O'Hare. And Jane, when we got in, Jane said, the normal things Uber driver says, I got power for you. You want water? It's in the seats. Yeah. And in the middle of the seats, just grab anything you want in there. And there was candy and a strategically placed pocket New Testament. So I knew something was afoot. Yeah. So I said to Donna, I gave her the down low, let's run with this. And uh, so over the next 15 minutes, Jane slowly moved the conversation to the gospel. I was able to, like she asked me once, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a teacher. What do you do? So I was able to quickly turn it around. Okay. And so about 15 minutes in, Jane asked, well, you guys have any spiritual beliefs or anything else? And and uh, and I said, at that point, Donna looks at me and says, you have to tell her, um, <laughs> you know, because Donna's the godly one in the marriage. So, so I tell her, Jane, Jane. So I'm actually a professor, and I teach evangelism at Wheaton College, and you are doing so great right now. Yeah. And so I recorded an interview with her. People can find it if you have show notes. Put it in the show notes. It's called Jane the Uber Driver. So Billy Graham dies the next morning. A week, a little more than a week later, I'm at the funeral. The New York Times asks me that question, who's the next Billy Graham? And I said, Jane the Uber Driver. Because I think that we are on a Great Commission highway that Mm -hmm. goes back to when Jesus said to the disciples, go make disciples of all nations. And they told somebody who told somebody who told somebody. Somebody told Billy Graham, Mordecai Ham, who, and then somebody, Billy Graham told millions of others. Well, somebody told you, Jared Wilson. Somebody told me. Somebody told Jane, the Uber driver. At the end of the day, Jane has made a decision not to let her life be a cul-de-sac on the Great Commission Highway. And in her case, she's literally driving on the highway. But, <laughs> but I think for all of us, and this is the danger for you, you and me, we talk a lot about the gospel. You and I have been around a lot. But if you're only talking about the gospel in your church but not sharing it outside of your church, I don't think you understand really what the gospel is. So who's the next Billy Graham? I think all of us really are the next disciple who's telling a disciple. And I would say one of the practices I try to do that I encourage, because most of our listeners are church leaders, is I actually map out my neighborhood. I have eight houses mapped out of my neighborhood. My last in, in Nashville, right, where, where we both lived for a season. Uh, of the eight of them, I shared the gospel with seven of eight of them. Uh, I invited all of them to church, but I actually shared the gospel, led 
uh, people, two households to the Lord, baptize them. Um, uh, a couple of them went to Brazil in our neighborhood to be missionaries after we baptized them a couple of years later. But here's the thing. Um, you can't lead what you won't live. Who's the next Billy Graham? I think is the question of who's the one who takes up the, the work of Billy Graham. And I think that if you're a listener who's talking about for the church and you believe that that means for the gospel, that means you too need to be one who shares that and tells your people, tells the people you lead that you're sharing the gospel intentionally and regularly. We actually, when I was at the North American Bishop Board years ago, a guy named Richard Harris was the vice president of our division. He'd come in, sit us all down at the table. I mean, for staff meeting, there are 25 of us, whatever. And he never tells who, but he'd say, who'd you share the gospel with in the last week? And I ask my team that every week, every time we have staff meeting, because I want us asking that question and answering that question. And I'd encourage church leaders to ask yourself, who'd you share the gospel with this week? And not just in church, but relationships you're building. And then I'd ask your staff and your team as well. So I think, Jane, but but more seriously to answer your question, nobody's the next Billy Graham. Billy Graham is not really replaceable. You know, keep in mind that he was a man of his time. You know, he met more presidents than any person ever met. Not any religious leader anybody ever met. Mm. Um, he... He also, before the culture wars, I mean, he was stepped out of most of that ministry before the culture wars. So according to the Gallup's most widely admired, he's the most mentioned person in history. Nobody will be as admired as Billy Graham wow. as again. So it's a great loss. We want to carry on his legacy, uh, not just us, but at the Billy Graham Center, um, you know, at the, at the School of Mission, Ministry, and Leadership, which I wouldn't say anything nice about because we're here at Midwestern, which is a great school. <laughs> uh, but we're having a good time, too, training um, men and women for – ministry and leadership. It's been it's been a good season, and we'd love to honor the legacy of Mr. Graham. Excellent. We've been speaking with Ed Stetzer, director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. Author, uh, newest book is Christians in the Age of Outrage. That, that is correct? true. And you're working on a book right now. What book is that? Can you it's tell us about Evangelicalism, it? The Current State and Its Future. Uh, oh. It'll be with InterVarsity, and um, it'll be kind of my evangelical manifesto, I guess, in a sense. Oh, excellent. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. It's a tricky book to write right now, I can assure you. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us online at ftc.co. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.